Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So how is your attitude? I want you to think about that just for one moment. Like, if you're thinking about your attitude, and, and uh, especially when you're coming to church, what does that look like? Because a lot of times in the morning, some of you may have woke up today and been like, the alarm clock went off, you jumped out of bed with a whistle in your step, and you're like, I am full of joy, I am heading to church, and I can't wait to get there, right? And that's where we want to be. Um, but some others, which I know I've had, I've raised five children now, and then when you come to church, like, it can be a battle. Like, getting to church is like, you know, you get everybody ready, everybody has to get dressed, especially when you got toddlers, and then there's like, where's your shoes? And then you can't find it. It's like, who ate the last Pop-Tart? And then you're trying to figure out, and you're getting in the car, and then you get here, and then you're arguing back and forth. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Why you got to do that? Everybody just be quiet. And then you pull up to church, and you're like, you know, where is your attitude then? Like, You're just not in the right frame of mind when you come into worship and to think about what that looks like. When I was younger, my... um my dad and my stepmother were taking me to church. I lived in Troy, and we were going to Tip City um, to uh, church service there. And so she, we were driving up 75. My stepmother was driving at the time, and she was, like, gunning it. I mean, she was, like, we were late, and she was flying. And then all of a sudden, it, it happened. Then I saw the, woo, and then all of a sudden, there's the, there's the lights, and then we get pulled over. And once that happened, you know, he came out. I did, it wasn't a warning. He actually gave her a ticket. And, you know, she even said, we're going to church. That did not matter. And then she got a ticket. And then afterwards, I remember my dad saying, well, are we going to church? And she's like, no, we are going home. So we actually turned around and then we went home because what? She wasn't in the, in the right mindset, right? She had been overcome with emotion in what she was doing. So she wasn't in the mood for a corporate gathering. Um, is our behavior and attitude in church important? I would say absolutely yes, absolutely yes. Our behavior and attitude is a what? An overflow of our heart. And when you think about our hearts and what comes out, right, our behavior is an overflow of that. And we see that very clearly in our children. Like the way that we act and when we are young, it just comes right out. I was went to a... Um, a dentist appointment when I was younger, and I was scared to death of the dentist, and I remember the terror that I was for my mother as she drugged me out of the car. Like, literally, like, I held on to the car door, and she pulled me out, and dr- like, I was holding on to the sidewalk with my hands like this as she drugged me all the way in, and then I was kicking and screaming as I went inside. My behavior was an overflow of my heart, right? I was fearful. I was scared. I was not being obedient at that time, and it affected the whole waiting room. Like, they all knew, and I'm sure that they were like, oh, get this kid out of here. Like, why does he have to be here? Well, when we talk about this behavior being an overflow of our heart, that is exactly what we are going to be talking about. We will see that today that Paul is addressing behavior for what? For both men and women and where their heart is. And this was even reflected in how the women dressed. Now, have you ever thought about that? Like how you dress reflects, you know, your heart. You know, if you think back to like, I know all of us are a a child of a different decade, right? I'm a child of the 80s. I know there's some 70s, there's all the way 90s kids here. And and you, what, what was like the most embarrassing thing that you ever wore 
in your life. I look back and like the worst thing I ever wore was I had a, a Michael Jackson red leather coat with like zippers all over it and some sweet parachute pants. Like parachute pants are like, if you know what parachute pants are, if you don't, they're like the material of parachutes and that's what it is. And when you walk, it's like, like everywhere you go. But see, why did I wear that? I wore that because I was trying to what? I was like, look at me. Like, I thought I was, like, big time walking around in parachute pants, and that's what I wanted. I wanted attention to be focused on me. So that is kind of the situation that we're looking at here and what is going on. It was an overflow of my heart, right? It was selfishness about me and how I dressed and how I acted. Um, Our behavior and attitude is important. Paul is addressing this in the corporate gathering, and it was a mess. It was a mess. Now, as we look back, over the past two weeks, we took a detour to Genesis, uh, and this was an essential foundation to how what? We see our roles as men and women in God's good design, and really talking about the fall and the impact of the fall. Our big idea last week was disobedience brings judgment, pain, and marital conflict. In our next step, we finished up with bring glory to God by trusting in his sacrifice and honoring the roles he has designed for us. And looking at what is our role and how does that play out even now. So this now helps us as we get back into Timothy over the next two weeks. So today, being back in the book of 1 Timothy, it is a letter, if you're joining us for the first first time, this is a letter written by Paul to his younger friend. He's mentoring him and uh, he calls him his spiritual son. So we know that they are very close. Um, Now, remember, Paul is helping Timothy to get the church healthy again. And this is a huge responsibility on Timothy. Timothy is a young guy. Um, There are pagan ideas. The culture and false doctrine have invaded the church that Paul helped establish and has become a circus. Um, I was reading a commentary this week that that was the title of it. The section was, a circus or a service? And I thought that is a great way to put it because that is what they're facing. They're facing, when you think about a circus, what do you think about? You think about loud and all this commotion going on and loud, you know, everything is just going on at the same time. That is what they are dealing with in this service. So it's not a, they don't want a circus, they want a service. So our behavior and attitude is important. Our behavior and attitude is important. Um, Paul addresses orderly worship. Now, in the church setting, as we're looking at our behavior, um, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. This is after Paul has addressed uh, what the behavior should be in the church. He says, but all things should be done decently and in order. That is his take on what it should be. It should be done decently and in order. And we see that here in Timothy and what he is instructing Timothy to do. So in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, this is Paul's purpose here in writing to Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Right there is his purpose. You may know how... One ought to behave in the household of God. That is what I want you to think today as we go through the scripture and the instruction that he is giving him. So as we dive into this letter today, we will understand further what Paul's instructions are to Timothy. 
But I want you to remember the context of where we are in, in this passage. We always need to look before and we need to look after. So at the beginning of chapter 2, what does he talk about? He's talking about the importance of prayer, right? And that is really where he is. This is a continuation of that thought and what is going on in the public service. Um, now, as we get to verse 8, um, Paul then tells him how to act in the corporate gathering. All right, so verses 8 through 15 pertain to the corporate gathering and how they should act, like so all the way to 15. Now, I looked at that, and I thought, well, I possibly could teach on that or preach on that in one week, but there's just too much, too many ideas and themes in here that we want to break it apart into two weeks. So the two big thoughts. So this week, we're going to be first the attitude of the corporate gathering, and next week, we'll be talking about the roles of the corporate gathering. So, and... Really, how does the instruction Paul gives, how does it relate to us today? Um, and how does it relate to the church, particularly the behavior in the corporate gathering? Now, I will say this. The circus that Paul and Timothy are dealing with is not where I'm, I have no issues. Like, there's nobody screaming out. There's nobody. Like, we do not have a circus in our behavior that we are dealing with in our church. But... This is a great opportunity for us to look at the context of this and kind of evaluate our own hearts that when we come to the corporate gathering, why are we coming? Where is our hearts at in this process? Uh, remember, there's a condition of our own hearts. The overflow of their hearts is their behavior, right? So what is our big idea this week? Our big idea is this. Attitude is important in the corporate gathering. Attitude is important in the corporate gathering. If our attitude is an overflow of our heart, then it is something that is important when we come to gather together and as they came together. So let's break down Paul's instruction to Timothy, and we'll see how he stresses the importance of our hearts in the worship setting. Now, first, he speaks to men, and then he speaks to women. So we'll go through this uh, verse by verse. Now, Let's start first with the men in the verse 8. And we're just going to take the first half of verse 8. So it says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. So we see this is a continuation, right? That the men should do what? Pray. We see this is important. This is very important. He says he desires, right? This is a strong word. It's like, think of it like a command, like I'm desiring you to do this, that he is putting that on them. Um, it says, in every place. Now, this is referring to uh, n- not necessarily like everywhere, but it's talking about in every place, referring to all the churches. In every church is really kind of the context of what he's saying, so you can see here. So what do we see here? The first thing that we can take away about corporate gatherings, there is an attitude of prayer. There is an attitude of prayer. Now, remember, this is how the chapter started, so I want to go back to the first verse, 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So right there, he's talking about the focus of prayer, and then this comes in under that. Now, when you look at this, and he's speaking to men here, do you think this restricts the prayer to only men? Now, there is debate about this. I would say I don't believe so. Because if we look at other texts, like in 1 Corinthians, it speaks, Paul speaks about women in prayer there. Paul references women praying. I think this is more about the the men leading here than what he is saying. So if you look at the surrounding context with teaching, 
right? That's coming up. He's going to be talking about teaching, and then he's getting ready to talk about the importance of elders and all of this that he's saying. So what is he doing? He's giving the, the men a charge here. He's saying, listen, you need to step up. I desire that in every place the men should pray. Now, so prayer is important, and we see this in the early church, how important it was. Now, if we go to Acts, we look at Acts 6, 4, we see this, but we will devote ourselves to what? To prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, this is when they were first setting up church. You see, these two things are important, right? Prayer and the ministry of the word. So it is about the heart of the men who are praying. So I would just question the men here. Men, where are our hearts? Are you leading in that way in prayer? Now, that is exactly why we have men read Scripture and pray. Now, if you notice, uh, Larry did a fantastic job today. But this is an opportunity for men to what? Pray before their families and, and to lead in this way. And it gives them the platform to do it. Why? Because we want men to lead. If we look at what society and the way our culture is, are men leading? Nah. We want men of the church to lead. And prayer is the way to do it. So are you willing to lead? Men, lead with your families. First Thessalonians, if we talk about uh, everyday prayer, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Always remember that this is a lifestyle of prayer that we should be living, correct? And men, you should be doing this. You should be praying without ceasing, right? Does that mean that you never raise your head up? You never stop praying? No, it means you live a lifestyle of prayer that you're constantly in communication, in God's word, in constantly communicating with him. So we must live a lifestyle of prayer. But in this text that we are talking about today, this is especially in the corporate gathering that, that he is referring to. So what does this attitude look like? So let's go on to the second part of the first verse. So I'll start from the beginning. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, first of all, we see this idea of what? Lifting holy hands. Now, does that mean every person needs to raise their hands in prayer when they're in service? No, that is not what that means. This is, if you look at this, this is like an offering. He's talking about lifting holy hands, what? To who? To God. This is um, a symbolic thing. You know, if we look in Scripture, we see there's many different postures of praying. We see that there's outstretched hands, there's kneeling, there's standing, there's sitting, there's bowing the head, is what we commonly do. But that's not, you, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us we have to pray like that. There's also lifting the eyes. So it is not a posture of the body, but it's a posture of our heart. And that is what I want you to take away from that. It's a posture of our heart. So when we look at that, what about the hands? The description is what? Holy. So holy hands equal what? A holy life. When you think about the hands and what they do, they're the things that you, what, do day-to-day -day activity. It's how you live your life. It's the things you do, right? They're either going to be dirty or they're going to be clean. Like, this is how you live your life. And what he is referring to, holy hands, means a holy life. It is how you live. So we'll get two points out of this particular verse. 
Uh, what is the first one here? What do we see about corporate gathering? We see an attitude of holiness. We see an attitude of holiness. So when we look at this, Paul is referring to the cleansing of hands. Hands represent the things you do in life, like I said, how you act, what you do. If we go into um, the Old Testament, Psalm 24, 4, and 5 says this. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This idea of clean hands, right? If you, are, if you have dirty hands, right, that means you have done something. And symbolically, that means if your hands are dirty, right, that means unholy living. Or clean means you have been cleansed. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one says this, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. Now, this is also, if you think about ceremonial, it's the washing of hands, right, and what that looks like, that they are washed from sin. And he is the only one who can do that. But I want to make this point. Living an unholy life, living in sin, hinders our prayers. So what do I mean by that? If you are stuck in sin, or if you're living in a way that you know you shouldn't do, you will not go to God in prayer. Why? Because you want to hide. You want to back up. That is our nature. That is our instinct and what we do. We even saw that in Genesis, right, over the past couple of weeks. What did, as soon as what they were deceived, they ate the fruit, what happened? They hid because they didn't want to face. They, were, they felt ashamed, and that's what we want to do. So if you're living in sin, if we're doing things that we know that are sinful, we want to hide. Like, I see this. We, we just got a new puppy, and like this thing is uh, this thing is a menace. It's cute, but it is like a menace. And it and it goes through the house. And my wife got a little bell to like go on its neck. So it's like ding ling ling everywhere you go. It's like ding ling 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 ling, and you hear it running around everywhere. But then the bell stops, and we're like, where where to go? Where to go? Where to go? And then sure enough, she is getting into trouble somewhere because why? She is hiding. Like even my. Puppy knows that it, like, it's shameful and it wants to hide away from us until we find it. And that's the way we are, too. We want to hide. So I would say if you are backing away and living in a way that you shouldn't, it'll hinder your prayer, right? You must, do, uh, you must come forward and what? Go to prayer and confess. Confess what you're doing. Ask for forgiveness and seek to live in a holy manner. Don't back away. Go to God with this. Um, Confess to him. All right, so as we go on, what's the second point here in this scripture? I want to read it again. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, remember, this is about how to behave in the house of God. And we see these two things, anger and quarreling. So what should we have? Instead of anger and fighting uh, amongst us, we should be what? There should be peace. There should be peace. So what do we see here about the corporate gathering? We should have an attitude of peace, an attitude of peace. So what does that mean? That means reconciliation with other believers. If we go to Matthew 5, 23 and 24, um, Jesus says this, so if you are, are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer, and offer your gift. You see, it is such an important thing to come to the altar to worship 
that you shouldn't be distracted by um, what is going on if you are in quarreling or disagreements. Your worship can be hindered or distracted by conflict. And that is not where we need to be. That's not where we need to be at all. We must reconcile and have peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. This is Paul once again talking to the church in Ephesus. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, that's the word that I'm getting at, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Us as believers, as a body, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, part of the body, you should be eager to what? To maintain the unity between us. So it asks, do you hold grudges? You know, if you come into worship and your mind is like, you come into the, and then you're standing there and all of a sudden you see up there in like row three and you're like, oh, they're here. I can't believe they're here. I called him this week and he did this and he's going to talk to me and he's going to say that. And he's going to post this on Facebook. I can't even believe that. Like, and that's where your heart goes? That's not good. Like, you not, that is a distraction from where you are that you need to be bringing that before the Lord, reconciling, and then coming to a place of worship. That is how important it is. This is how Paul desires men to lead in prayer with an attitude of what? Holiness and peace. And men, this is where you can lead. This is where, and what do we, I tell you what, as a man, what do I want? I want to be passive. I want to be like, nope, I don't want conflict. I don't want to deal with it. Nope, nope, nope. No, men, we need to lead and resolve conflict, and especially before we come into the house of worship. So this is how Paul desires men to lead. So now, as we go on, let's see, as we turn to women and see what Paul says about women in the church. All right, 1 Timothy verse 9. We're going to take the first part of verse 9. It says, Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. All right, we're going to stop there. First of all, I want you to note it says, likewise, likewise. It's a look at the heart of the behavior of women, the same as it was the men, Right? He's describing these things. This where's your heart out with these things, men? And now, likewise, women, I want you to examine your heart also. Likewise. Now we see him addressing outward adornments, right? Things that they are wearing that reflect their heart. Artificial glamour of the world. I want you to think about it two ways. Artificial glamour of the world versus what? The true beauty of godly life, right? Two very distinctive things that are different. It says they should adorn themselves. What? They should put on what? In respectable apparel. Respectable apparel. So what is respectable apparel? It says modesty and self-control. So what do we see here about our corporate gathering? There should be an attitude of modesty. There should be an attitude of modesty. You see, women at this time in this church, remember I called it a circus, was going on. They were using their physical appearance to what? Attract attention. They were like, it's all about me. I want you to come look at me. And that's what was going on. And it was a big problem. And we see this throughout Scripture, actually. Peter addresses it in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, we look at this and we see it's exactly what Paul is saying. It's the same sort of thing, this adorning, this bringing attention to ourselves and women bringing attention to themselves. There was a connection to the culture with dress. And Paul sees the importance of the respectable apparel. And what? This idea of self-control, knowing that what? That we must glorify God with our bodies, with how we dress. Now, we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, it says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? But you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, this particular verse is talking about sexual immorality and how you treat your own body. But I think it also bears repeating that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So with your body, you should be glorifying God. And that includes in how you dress. You know, over the past... Uh, this past year we have been going through with the youth, we've been going through uh, God's Good Design. And just a couple of weeks ago, we did um, uh, modesty. We talked about purity and what that means. And I think this is such an important topic to talk about with our youth because we don't want to talk about it, right? But the church is the one who needs to be talking about it because it is such an important thing. Because why? The culture pulls us this way by the things we see in media and all that. And we want to say, no, the Bible says this over here. We see value in this. So as we go on, let's see what Paul says, what not is modest, what is not modest. So second part of that says, likewise, also that men should or that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, looking at these fashions mentioned, we see what? Braided hair, gold, and pearls, right? We look at those things and like, well, is there anything bad with those? No, I want to say right off the bat, because if you're sitting here and you got braided hair, I don't want you to be like, ah, like I need to get out of here because I got braided hair. No, that's not what that is saying at all. Remember, it is where the heart is. Now, culturally at that time, I read that the prostitutes and immoral women of that time would spend hours and money intertwining their hair with gold and pearls to make it more like a show. Like, look at me. Look how beautiful I can be. Like, it was just over the top. And why would they do this? To draw attention to themselves. So are these things bad? The braided hair, the gold, the pearls? No. I would say, but where is their heart? Where is their heart in this? It's either a prideful thing, look at me, it's all about me, or it's humility over here. It's not about me. It's only about him. So what do we see here about the corporate gathering? We see an attitude of humility, an attitude of humility. These things were a distraction. And think about how they can distract you know, this past week I was talking with Luke. He brought up a, a, this idea of, uh, it's called Preachers and Sneakers. And I'm like, well, what is that? And Preachers and Sneakers is a guy, his name is, and I wrote it down, so I went, Ben Kirby. He came up with this idea because what he did was he saw celebrity pastors or celebrity pastors who are on TV, I guess, would have like 
very expensive, like $500 shoes on or up to $1,000 shoes on. And he's like, this just isn't right. Like, why would pastors do that? And I 100% agree. If I'm up here and, like, if you see Raleigh and me up here in, like, Armani suits and we're like, yeah, look at us and, like, look at my Yeezys, no. Like, that is not the way that you should be preaching the word. But what he did is he's calling them out because why? It is a distraction. It is because what you see that, what's it like? Well, look at me. Look how much money I make. You know, I fly in a private jet and all this stuff. And that's what they're doing. They're bringing the attention to themselves. But ultimately, what is it? It's a distraction. It's a distraction from God. It's a distraction from the gospel. And that's what these women, in the situation they were in, they were being. They were being a distraction, putting the attention on themselves. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 31 woman. You know, you look at that and you see that the beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is what? To be praised. That is what is attractive about a woman. These women had one thing on their mind, and that was to attract attention from the men. I think about it like a peacock, you know? If you think about a peacock, where they're like, they got giant feathers, and what do they do? They like prance around. They're like, look at me. Check me out. Why? To get the attention of the other bird. And that is exactly what these women were doing. They were trying to get the, uh, the attention of these men. And it was a problem because the men were not being faithful to their wives. I read this this week and I thought this was very interesting because if you look at it in context, we're getting ready to come to chapter three, which is what? Talking about the qualifications of elders. And when you look at that, what does it say? Husband of one wife. What does that translate to? It's a one woman man. These were men who were not being faithful to their wives. Because why? Because this was a circus and this was going on in the church. They were having inappropriate relationships within the church and it needed to be fixed. Peter talks about clothing in a different way, clothing yourself with humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, With what? With humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you. This idea between pride and humility, right? We want to be humble before him. Clothe yourselves in what? Humility towards one another. Now, we are thankful not to have the problems that this church that Paul and Timothy are dealing with. But I would ask you to examine your hearts also. Do we try to attract attention to ourselves and what we do? Especially when you come here, it should be about him and not about us. We must have an attitude of humility. So how should these women adorn themselves? Let's go to the last verse now, verse 10. Says this, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So what is proper? This idea, there's two things, right? There's the material attire, trying to attract attention to themselves, and then there's what? Good works. He's saying this is much more attractive. Good works should be the attractive thing here. And I will say this, do good works save us? 
Absolutely not. And I always want to preface that. And I think even the baptism today uh, that Christy and then Raleigh explained it so well that, you know, this weighing of back and forth, like, well, did I do this much good? I guess. Well, okay, then maybe I'll get to heaven. But then I'll say, oh, today I did this much bad. So I guess today I'm not going to heaven. No, that's not the way we look at salvation, right? None of us deserve it. None of us can work our way there to it. It is a gift by grace, right? We know because we studied in Genesis because of the fall, right? Each and every one of us are born into sin. There's only one way for us to get to heaven, and that is through God's grace because he sent his son. He's the judge, and he's also the savior. He sent his son for us to take the punishment for our sins, and we have to trust in him. When we trust in him, when we surrender our lives to him, when our heart is transformed, then what do we want to do? We want to do good works. That is where our heart goes because we understand the gift that we have been given and the grace he has given us. So it's like, sign me up. I'll do good works. I want to. And that is what these women that that he is talking about should. That is what's proper who women who profess godliness with good works. So what do we see here about the corporate uh, gathering? We see an attitude of selflessness, an attitude of selflessness When Jesus is our Lord, it's not about us, right? We give our heart to him. His idea of being selfless, and that is what we see here that he is proposing in these women, an attitude of selflessness. Paul says that the women should what? Be modest, do not dress in immodest styles of the day, and concentrate on good deeds, right? This idea of selflessness. Now, I want to give a shout out to my wife because my wife is so selfless in the things that she does and her, and her modesty and stuff. I think she is such a great example. Um, and I have to say, when I met her, actually, so we met online because I was part of a, a Christian dating website. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's any godly women on this website. So I was like, I just want to see who's out there. So I see Desiree's profile and I say, so what is the first question I ask her? I asked her, do you serve in your church? And guess what she said? Yes. And I was like, yes. Why? Because that is good works. That shows me where her heart was. And when I was trying to find out who she was, it wasn't about looks. It was about what? Who she is. Does she serve? Where's her heart at? So material attire, costly attire, or good works. Remember, it's about what is on the inside. What is on the inside? 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? The heart. It's not about the outward. It's about the heart. That is the theme that we want to uh, take hold of here, what we look at. Now, as we continue to study through Timothy, we're going to go Timothy, and I believe we're going to go Titus, and we're going to go back to Timothy 2. In Titus, there is a great section that talks about women, specifically older women in the church. Titus 2, 3, and 4 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. This idea of older women, what, mentoring, pouring into younger women in the church is such an essential thing that we need. And what? Be reverent. They are to be reverent in behavior. 
and be the example that these younger families and these younger mothers and these younger women need. And I will say this, we can never underestimate the value and importance of godly women in the church. They are invaluable. A woman should be valued for her heart, not for her appearance. Roman culture was flipped upside down. That's not the way it was. Roman culture made women lowly. Christianity is what fixed that. Christianity changed all that. If we look at Galatians 3.28, it says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This idea that, that men and women talking about all of this here, men and women are what? Equal in value before God because of Christ. Women in the church are invaluable. Now, as we have looked at, this, at the meaning and context of these last three, of these three verses, we see that Paul's giving what? Remember, instruction on how to behave in the corporate, uh, in corporate worship or in the house of God. Now, all of these issues reflected the condition of their hearts, right? So our attitude is important in the corporate gathering. So what have we seen? We've seen for men, attitude of prayer, right? Men must lead. Attitude of holiness. It's holy living. An attitude of peace. What? Unity. All of this must be the focus. For women, what is it? It's an attitude of modesty, an attitude of humility, and an attitude of selflessness, so as we look at this, what is our next step that I want you guys to go away with today? It's something that we should be doing each and every day, and especially on Sundays before we gather in a corporate setting. Check your heart. Check your heart. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, just stop and check where your motivation comes from. Where is your heart at? Are you coming because you are, want to focus on God, that you want to worship him, that you are grateful for what he has done and you are serving him in this way, so you want to lay down everything before him and worship him? Or do you have other selfish motives that you are coming? Where is your heart? Check your heart. Now, first, your heart has to be his. I have to say that. Your heart has to be his. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, that means that trusting in Christ. And if you're here and you don't know what that means, I would love to talk to you after service. Because once you surrender your life to Christ, once you trust in him, your heart, right, your heart is transformed. You have a new heart. And what did I say? You give it to him. You absolutely give it to him. So you must check your heart before you come. And as we come together, then understand the importance of corporate gathering. We should never take it for granted. If you think about it, there's people all over the world who can't even gather together. We get the opportunity. It's almost too easy for us to come together to worship God. We should never take that for granted. Now, we know that Paul was dealing with a circus, but likewise, our focus should be on worshiping our God through what? Through singing. You know, is he worthy? We sang that song today. That is one of my favorite songs. And, and when they're all singing together up here, and it's like, is he worthy? And like, he is. And it is just a powerful moment to worship who he is. He is worthy. So we get to come together, focus on him, sing our hearts out, focus on prayer, make him a priority. And what? And on teaching God's word. 
These are the things that are important when we come together, and our hearts should be right when we come together to do it. Always check your heart. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. It is a blessing and an honor that we get to study your word, Father, and we just hope that everything that we have done today brings glory to you. We're thankful that we could sing, sing to you, thankful that we could learn from your word, and we just pray that um, you continue to draw us closer to you as we leave here this week. Father, if there's anybody here who has, has not made a decision to trust in your son, Father, we just pray that today would be the day that you would transform them. And Father, we're so thankful for the, the body that you have brought together, and we want to honor the time that we have together. We want to know that um, it is an important time that we should never take for granted. So Father, we just want to give you the praise, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.